2: Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and I've got my buddy, my co-host, Mr. Pierce Nellis. Pierce, how you doing? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. You uh, you spent a little time in the woods this morning. How'd that go for you?
0: It was, uh, well, from from my goal, which was to uh, stick an arrow in a nice fat dough and uh, fill the freezer, it, it was... It didn't go well, but I did, <laughs> uh, I, I did have, of course, of course the time that you go out and you're, you're just only after a doe, you see nothing but bucks. And so I, I had a little nubbin and a spike come in and then out of nowhere I had uh, a pretty nice, I, I'm going to say two and a half year old. Um, I was sending you some pictures. We were joking that we may need to do a, uh, did Pierce pass a shooter part two. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was a good yet, I'll be honest. He was tempting, and I got to watch him munch some apples for 15 minutes at 30 yards broadside and work a scrape that was on that tree, but it just wasn't what I was after today.
2: Yeah, he's what, a 100, 110 inch deer, 115 inch deer, somewhere in there probably?
0: I'd say so, yeah. yeah. He looks a lot bigger in those pictures, but I got one, he actually walked right in front of my cell cam afterwards um, and turned his head kind of back Away from it, so you could see his rack from behind. And I mean, he was—he's pretty narrow, real tall though. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm tall, excited to see him next year.
2: Pretty narrow, didn't have a ton of mass. I mean, wasn't no. like you know, you didn't look at it and think, oh, that's a that deer's got some some girth to him.
0: Right, right. But, his left G2 was real nice
2: though. Right, right. Well, in his his body, like I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Like, man, he he does not look like a September deer. No, no. Like he did. I mean, not... his neck was still thin, but I mean, he had a big freaking head and I
0: mean his, his body was yeah right he was you, sick.
2: you're gonna you're gonna look back and you're gonna see him in 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 November and be like oh my gosh what, what? it's gonna be a repeat of last yeah. year
0: man I'm gonna see him when he's all fired up and then be like oh look at that guy that's awesome and then I'll get up to him
2: and, oh <laughs> huh, same guy <laughs> even better you got to encounter him twice and and have a good time so uh exactly Pierce man we've got a treat for folks today we have Probably one of my favorite shows that we've recorded. This was, now, I'll I'll say this. We had technical issues throughout. Guys, if you're wondering what happened to the audio quality, it has been an absolute circus on on our end. We had some internet issues dropping out. A USB-C port on my MacBook Pro burned out in the middle of the show. Uh, And that happened to be the one with my power cord and with our Ethernet cable plugged into it. And so that one fried up. My computer got super hot. So things got a little weird and laggy. Um, Yeah, we got all kinds of problems. But despite all of that, if you can hang around, uh, and actually the the audio doesn't get a little scratchy until towards the end, but um, fantastic episode. We had Robert Rosenberger on, and the guy Mm -hmm. worked for the DNR for, what, 20-something years or something like that. Uh, Fantastic guy. And things didn't go as we'd planned.
0: No, no, we, we went into this podcast because by the time this airs, um, the northern zone, um, Wisconsin waterfall season will have just happened. We'll, will we'll have just opened, I should say. And the southern zone, uh, season will be coming up this Saturday. And we thought, you know, it'd be great to have just a, a cool guy on who's, you know, he's an avid waterfowl hunter. Um, and just, I mean, sportsman in general, um, we'll have him come on. We'll talk about duck hunting in the Northern region and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll talk strategy and gear and decoy setups and, and all that stuff and all that. And, uh, we covered none of that. Right. None of that at all. None whatsoever. No. Nope. What we did cover was, um, geez, growing up, in the state of Wisconsin um, how formative early years of hunting are um, you know, especially when you're, when you're, you know, we, we spoke a lot about, you know, when you get off the bus and you've got two hours to hunt before uh, before dark and stuff like that, and, and you're running out there solo and the learning curve and, you know, trying to, trying to make your way up that and just figure things out as a, as a young outdoorsman by trial and error. Um, and from there you know we kind of stemmed off of that a number of different directions <laughs> and you know we uh we we talked you know ethics and um you know responsibilities of of us as uh, stewards of the land and and conservationists in general the the dichotomy between um you know conservationist and hunter and you know where those meet and where those separate and you know which which one's more important um and not necessarily more important but just the 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 different viewpoints of each. Um, I mean, from, <laughs> it's a long list, man. We, <laughs> we get into, like I said, the ethics, the, uh, you know, the responsibilities that we have as, as mentors and role models and ambassadors of, of whatever pursuit we're, uh, we're engaging in and, and really just treating one another well and finding common ground to break bread over and share outdoor pursuits. Um, uh over and with and uh just you know it's a conversation i think everybody ought to hear this time of year as yeah. we're going into duck season which everybody knows can <laughs> duck spots are sacred man you do yeah. not want to get in another guy's duck spot and you know more and more folks are going to be out on uh, getting into public land here whether it be for pheasant or uh deer hunting or i mean fall turkey hunting what the hell why not Um, salmon steelhead seasons coming, you know, coming in hot too here. And I mean, it's, it's something that, that I think is just excellent food for thought for everyone. Yeah. Whether you're a hunter, non-hunter, conservationist, angler, whatever you are, um, everyone's going to benefit from this. And I think everyone's going to really enjoy this conversation.
2: Yeah, I agree. No matter what your pursuit is. Um, you know, this is a good conversation for, for you to hear out. And towards the end, we got into, I mean, some of the, some of the best public land discussion, I think that I've, that we've had on the show. I mean, mm-hmm. by far, you just talking about, you know, you alluded to it with the hunter ethics piece, but just how we interact with each other on public land and, and how we often view other people as a threat to our experience. Whereas uh, a slight shift in our mindset could really create something that turns out to be an enhancement of our experience and make things that much Mm -hmm. better while we're out there hunting on public land. So uh, Pierce, before we jump into the episode, I did just want to quickly remind folks, if you're following me on Instagram at the Wisconsin sportsman, you need to jump over to the new page at the Wisconsin sportsman pod. That is going to be our new landing page on Instagram for all things, Wisconsin sportsman. We've got uh, probably next week, the old Wisconsin sportsman page will be swapping over to, uh, to be the page for the new show because I had so many family and friends and things like that that are following that page. I wanted to just take that one with me to the new podcast that I've been hosting uh, called The Southern Way on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, and that's just kind of my southern outlet, right? Like I'm I'm in Georgia living. I'm still hunting Wisconsin. I'll be there in you know not too long from now. Uh, get out trail cameras and and do a little bit of hunting, and then back in November, and it, it'll be it'll be great. But I did need something where I could talk about hunting in the Georgia pines. And I didn't think you guys would be, uh, would be too keen on listening to that stuff too much. It's tough so. to relate. Yeah. We've yeah, never
0: seen a persimmon up here.
2: That, yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm going to be <laughs> talking about hot persimmon trees and where I'm hanging my cameras. So and You guys are going to be like, what, what do you know? That's not, <laughs> that's not it. So uh, anyway, but yeah, if you haven't already jump over to, uh, the new page at the Wisconsin Sportsman Pod, and that will get you everything you need to know. Pierce has been pretty active on there, and uh, yeah, go check it out. You can see a picture of the buck that Pierce uh, passed this morning on uh, mm-hmm. on there. Right now, it's just in a story. We should do a post on that. Yep, we'll uh, get that. On. Maybe a, maybe a, maybe just a quick reel or something like that, where it can you know get the video because it was cool seeing him munching on apples. Uh, oh, yeah, that was yeah. that was pretty sweet footage. So, uh, Pierce, anything else that uh, news we need to cover or should we just jump right in?
0: Uh, before we go here, just another reminder that we've got a, another sponsor on the network here, another code for you guys to save some money. Uh, Revo sunglasses um, is now a uh, sponsor of our podcast here. Um, I'm a huge fan of their glasses. I've been running them for about a year and a half now. Awesome um, Awesome lenses they I, I would put them up against and probably beating, uh, you know, any of the other top of the line brands that you're seeing in your Cabela's and Bass Pro. They're a lesser known brand, but man is the quality outstanding. I love them for fishing. I love them for driving. Uh, the polarization is just top notch. Um, my favorite model there is the crawler, um, for angling as well, but they've got other, I mean, countless other models, you know, designed for angling, um, a variety of lens color or colors and, uh, you know, finishes and all that. So you can get 30% off at uh, revo.com uh, using the code Wisconsin sportsman 30. Um, so be sure to go and check that out. And also uh, we are officially less than a month away from the end of our inland trout season. Uh, I had a couple cancellations um, and I'm always looking to get folks out on the water. Uh so if you want to do that, if you want to try fly fishing, if you want to get in on the uh the awesome fall fishing, the water's low and the water's clear, but it's starting to pick up as we're getting these cooler evening temps and uh you know, I, I think we're in for a pretty darn good uh end of the end of the trout season here. So uh if you want to find more information on that rates or book a trip, uh go check out goodchanceflyfishing dot com or at good on Instagram.
2: Awesome. Guys, go book your trip. Hunting is going to get real good around that end of October, so go ahead and get your uh, mm-hmm. get your fishing out of the way now. Skip the, if you know, if early season whitetails aren't your game, like, don't feel bad about it. I Early yeah. season whitetails not really my game either, man. I want to be out there in the rut. I want to see those bucks fired up. Uh, I want to still have a tag in my pocket at, at that point. And so, uh, yeah, go out and do a little fishing right now. Goodchanceflyfishing.com. Absolutely. So, Pierce, with that said, we'll jump right into the episode. Let's do it. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam 6.0 point-of-view camera. Featuring a built-in one-inch LCD touchscreen, one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Tacticam 6.0 is sure to simplify the self-filming process for you and make sure you have high-quality footage to share with family and friends. The 6.0 features up to 8x zoom, new image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear 4K, 60 frame per second footage. Now through September 21st, you can get a 6.0 camera, a stabilizer mount, a clamp mount, and a bottle of scrape fix for just $355.99. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to tacticam.com. If you want to create more memories and fill your freezer while you're doing it, the Onyx Hunt app is a must have tool in your arsenal. With major new aerial imagery updates with historic look back, high-frequency imagery, and even the ability to order your own custom imagery, the OnX Hunt app has solidified itself as the leader among mapping systems. Now, this is all on top of the public and private land ownership info, the ability to use this app with no service, and the unmatched reliability that you have come to expect out of the OnX Hunt app. You can try the OnX Hunt app for free for seven days. Just go find them on the App Store of your choice, or you can go to onxmaps.com to learn more. The archery opener is right around the corner and you can hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham lightweight pants, which are rugged and durable, but also lightweight and breathable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts. And the Gadsden quarter zip hoodie, which is made to be breathable and moisture wicking. To make building out your kit simpler, the Huntworth website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo, no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to huntworthgear.com. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, I've got Mr. Pierce Nellis, my co-host, and Mr. Robert Rosenberger from Wisconsin. Guys, how are we doing today?
1: Doing great. Thank you so
0: much, Josh and Pierce. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to join with you today. Absolutely. Doing great as well. Robert, thank you for joining us. I've been excited for this for quite a while. Um, Josh, I've I've told you stories um about you know conversations i've had with robert or uh you know our our northwoods turkey hunting that we did um this past spring but um i'm glad you can finally put a face to a name and uh we're going to learn a lot more about robert here on today's episode but I, i met robert geez a little over a year ago about a year and a half ago probably last summer um when uh, I was I was teaching in a, a fly fishing school, and Robert, uh, his wife, and their new uh, little Chesapeake Bay Retriever, Nessie, uh, came into the school. And uh, Robert and uh, Nessie were kind kind of on the on the side there, and uh, his wife was was a student in our school. And we broke for lunch after the first day. It was a two day school, and we start sitting down and chatting together and robert and i just start bsing about all sorts of different things from fly fishing to turkey hunting to deer hunting and i mean you name it we got into the whole saddle hunting uh discussion that first day even and uh we we just kind of hit it off and um, <clears throat> so the, the two of us you know we stayed in touch and everything and uh you know we, we chatted throughout uh throughout the fall last year and our deer seasons together and discussed grouse season a little bit and how he was doing up in uh up in the north woods there and um you know this this past spring then we were able to finally connect and uh do a little turkey hunting together and as many of you all know uh if you've been listening for the last uh, well really since this past spring i was horrible at getting my turkey tags application in uh, this year. And so I was scrambling the entire season and wasn't able to get a a zone five tag, um, but Robert did. And so I I still made it up there. We were able to uh, do a little hunting together in the big woods, which was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And just these dense, dense, like unbelievably thick, uh, just massive hardwoods. Um, But I just had an absolute ball of a time. And uh, Robert and I got to, got to hunt together and and hit it off for a weekend and all that. And, uh, you know, we, we shared stories and kind of talked about our, our backgrounds and sort of our philosophies on hunting. Um, and and we just really, we, we seem to really align in that sense. Um, and so I, I've been talking to Josh here for for a while about how you know what we need to get this guy on and I've I've thought that since literally since that first weekend that you and I met Robert I've been thinking like he needs to be on the podcast he definitely should be Um, so so with that Robert why don't you give us a quick intro um, just you know introduce yourself here tell us a little bit about where you grew up where you're uh, out of and and just kind of just general overview of who you are
1: Great. Yeah. Thank you, Pierce. It it was a, it was a real pleasure to meet you at the fly fishing school and I'm glad we had a chance to share some time in the Turkey woods together. And uh, it it was, it was, it was a really neat weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I've been hunting and fishing pretty much all my life. It's been a main passion of mine um, ever, ever since I was a young boy. And and I don't know exactly why I, I became interested in hunting and fishing and Little bit of trapping, um, but I can remember as a boy, my father—he uh, was—he was a fairly casual hunter. He wasn't—he wasn't obsessed with hunting like like we are, um, but he was—he was a casual hunter, maybe more of a gentleman hunter, and and he would um, do a little bit of hunting. He'd go to Missouri every every fall with a, uh, a customer of his of his and some quail hunting and, and I can I remember being about eight years old and watching my father packing his bag and his browning over and under shotgun and the boxes of shells and his hunting pants and canvas jacket. And I thought this, this is pretty neat. He'd tell me about hunting before he left and then how his trip was when he came back. And, and, and I think, I think that sort of introduction to the outdoors and, and some of his friends were, were a, were a big influence in getting me started and, uh, in, in, in the outdoor direction. I'd, I'd say in grade school and high school, I was a, a lousy student. I really didn't find school to be particularly interesting or relevant. I, I probably read sports of field and field and stream during class more than any, any textbook that, that, uh, that uh, the teacher was trying to instill upon me. I, I had a few teachers that, that were avid hunters and anglers and, they sort of took me under their wing, also, and and that that I think really got me got me going on the outdoor journey. Um, I grew up in southeast Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee, in a in a city, uh, Mequon. And Mequon is probably half at that time was half city and, and half rural. And I was lucky to grow up in the rural part of Mequon. And I could I could get off the school bus in the afternoon in the fall in October and grab my shotgun and a and a hand, you know, pocket full of shells and go out and go pheasant hunting and rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting. And, uh, pretty much from mid October and until, until rabbit season closed in January or February, I was out, out hunting and lucky enough that we had some land and our neighbors had some land and it was relatively easy to get permission in those days to, to hunt. Um, and, and that was just, just a great, great childhood experiences and great opportunities. Um, really didn't, didn't know what I wanted to do through high school. I played some football. I had some uh, colleges reach out to me to, to play football at, at college. And uh, it's one of those, you know, therefore, but the grace of God go I. I. I don't I could have ended up doing a number of different things or going to a number of different colleges. And I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but luckily, I uh, was recruited by UW-Stevens Point to come and play football. And I said, well, Point, that's a neat school and they've got a great College of Natural Resources program and I like hunting and fishing and uh, ended up ended up going to school at Stevens Point, you know, in the mid 1980s. And, and that was a great experience. Uh, Stevens Point is a, is a great college, made some friends that are still friends for life, um, really, really fortunate to, to have that opportunity. After college, again, I was sort of wandering and wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Joined the Peace Corps, uh, went to Africa for two years, working in a fisheries project, a small country in Africa, uh, Burundi. Between It's located between uh, uh, Tanzania, Zaire, Rwanda, sort of east-east-central Africa. And um, I think volunteering is incredibly important. And uh, in, in getting out, there's an old saying, when you volunteer, you end up receiving more than you give. It, it opens your eyes to so many opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. uh, people are, you get to meet people you'd never get to meet before. And there's a real, real level of satisfaction in, in volunteering. So I worked two years in, in Africa, uh, working on a fish farming project, um, came back to Wisconsin. I missed Wisconsin the whole time I was gone, just missed, missed the Northwoods, missed the upper peninsula of Michigan. Um, Came back and again, still didn't know what I wanted to do. But now I had some experience. I have a natural resources degree. I have some experience in fisheries, and I and I started applying for jobs uh, with the DNR. I thought, well, it'd be pretty cool to work for DNR. Back in the back in the early nineteen nineties, the hiring process was a lot different, and um, basically, you you would have to take an an exam, a test. It was a multiple choice exam, an hour too long. And um, depending upon your results of that test, you would you would be ranked um, as far as the eligibility to receive an interview. So on a on a Saturday afternoon, a um, couple hundred people would show up at a at a university to take an exam that the DNR was was putting out, and you'd have to answer multiple choice. And for fisheries, there's a lot of questions, obviously about fish. And you know, like, when when do lake trout spawn? And give you a list of months to choose from after you took the exam, you had to wait a few weeks and you'd, you'd get a letter in the mail explaining uh, what your score was on the exam and, and where you ranked in in uh, competition with everybody else who, who took the exam. And if you were lucky enough to get an interview, then you'd uh, interview with the DNR. And uh, I went through that process and was was hired uh, working in Northeast Wisconsin out with the Marinette DNR office in a program at the time that was known as water water regulation and zoning. And it, and it dealt with um, a lot of Projects in and near waterways and wetlands, uh, landowners who'd want to build a bridge or put a culvert in a stream or build a road through a wetland or uh, improve habitat for fish and wildlife or or do certain projects in or near lakes, rivers and wetlands uh, requires a permit from DNR. And and the permit process is the DNR's opportunity to review the project and and determine if it's going to have a negative impact on fish habitat or wildlife habitat or water quality or Navigation or other other public interests. So um, it, it it was a great job, and and I worked in that capacity for about twenty years. Got to meet a lot of landowners, work with other agencies. I also worked with the uh, relicensing of hydroelectric dams on the on the uh, larger rivers in that area. Um, after, after a number of years, I promoted through the department, became a field supervisor, uh, managing the program that I worked in, and uh, deputy bureau director for the program, had statewide responsibilities, uh, worked for a short time as a section chief in customer service, which was a fascinating, fascinating part of the department, incredible work folks do. And it became pretty apparent I was ready to retire after 28, 28 years with DNR. Uh, retired and um, right, right during turkey season, which was great timing. Had um, you know, jumped, jumped right into turkey hunting and jumped into trout fishing and then salmon fishing. But by the end of the summer, I, I thought, well, I, I kind of miss work. I miss working. I miss working with people and have that sense of purpose and meaning that, that good work can bring. So, started a consulting business, uh, fly fishing and uh, consulting. Um, Started guiding, started doing some teaching, started working on some projects, and and that's been a great transition from from working for DNR and, and uh, getting getting into doing some consulting. So that's kind of the background. Um, maybe not not maybe not a short introduction, but it's a it's <laughs> kind of the background of how I kind of got to where I am today. So
2: that um, that is really fascinating to hear. And one of the first episodes that I did, I, I'm curious about that time you spent working in the customer service department, because one of the earliest episodes that we did of this podcast, I had Pat Durkin on, um, who I'm sure you're mm-hmm. aware of.
0: Yeah, and, absolutely, yeah. and,
2: and one of the things that he talked about in that episode um, was one of the things he mentioned, he said, we're from Wisconsin. We, div- we give a damn about things. And mm-hmm. his, his point was the, the importance that we've always placed on public input in the state of Wisconsin and public investment in the natural resources. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that that was a, a unique opportunity that you had. I'm curious to hear, you know, maybe some of the feedback you guys got, uh, or, you know, some of the, the daily issues that you were having to navigate as really the face almost or the front line of public input mm-hmm. with, with DNR.
1: Right. Um, So I, I think, I think, um, I think there's been a, there's been a pretty major evolution that's occurred in the last 20 or or 30 years, not only within DNR, but just in society in general. And, and I, and I think the social expectations have changed quite a bit. Um, being responsive, being courteous, being polite, being helpful. Those I think are much more at the forefront than they were maybe two or three decades ago. Um, And and I think maybe taking two steps back to what you're talking about, Josh, you know, Pat Durkin is absolutely right. Wisconsin has a very strong legacy of citizen involvement, citizen participation, the Conservation Congress, the Natural Resources Board, uh, local groups that are that are interested in natural resource issues. uh, Wisconsin Waterfowl Association, for example, and this is supposed to turn into a duck hunting podcast at some point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, D- D- WWA, for example, a great organization of, of citizens who care deeply about our waterfowling heritage. I've worked with a number of folks from Ducks Unlimited in Wisconsin, fantastic folks who are dedicated to, to wetland conservation and, and, and continuing with the with the duck hunting heritage. I'm probably gonna miss a whole bunch of people and I'm sorry, uh, um, but um, there's a just a strong tradition in Wisconsin of people who really care about the natural resources. Right. Um, sometimes, I'm, maybe I'm kind of wandering a little bit, sometimes that can be a great benefit and then sometimes it can be a little bit of a hindrance because sometimes, kind of an analogy I use is, um, you know, pretend, pretend you're at a concert and and you're, you're at a concert and you're down on the dance floor and you're watching the band and maybe you're dancing, you're, you know, in the mosh pit or wherever you're at. But if if you're down on the dance floor, you can only see what's going on right around you and, and maybe only a few feet away from you. And, and sometimes people, when they get really caught up in issues, they're sort of on that dance floor and they can't, can't really see the big picture. But if, but if you get up, if you, if you leave the dance floor and you get up on the balcony and and now you're looking, now you can see the band, you can see the people that are dancing, you know, continuing with the concert analogy, you can see people selling t-shirts or getting beers or w- w- whatever other sort of things people do at concerts. But when you're on the balcony, you can kind of start seeing the big picture. And, and I really encourage people. Yep. Yeah, you know, the issue you're working on is really important, but, Sometimes it really helps to get up on that, get up on that balcony and take a look at the big picture. And, and, I, and, I, and I, don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on any one particular group of people, but sometimes people become too passionate and they, and they don't see the big picture or, or they become too passionate about a single cause and sometimes end up doing a little unintentional harm by maybe being a little overzealous or a little single focused um, I, I think building relationships with people is incredibly important. I, I think bringing in that input, I, I think listening to voices, maybe you wouldn't want to listen to. I'll, I'll give an example. Um, there was a, a conservation warden, a good friend of mine was dealing with, um, this, is, this was a number of years ago, it was pretty popular at one time for kids to... Jump in a car, in, you know, in August or September with a spotlight and a rifle and drive around fields and, you know, start shooting at deer in fields or just drive by shootings, and, you know, just, just disgusting. But, you know, there were some kids that, that would do that. And, and the word got out that, you know, farmers were finding dead deer in the fields and the wardens were trying to figure out who was doing it. And, and speaking of unusual voices, um, the Humane Society reached out to to the local warden and said, "You know what? We're willing to we're willing to put up a, a reward. You know, five thousand dollars to help you catch catch these kids because we we don't agree with it either." And, and the warden took a really big risk um, mm-hmm. because partnering normally we partner with DU, we partner with NRA, we partner with local hunting and fishing groups, and now the Humane Society wanted to join this. Um, effort to catch catch these miscreants and the warden did something very risky. And he said, sure, I'll, I'll, partner with the humane society. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to an unusual voice. And did he catch hell for doing that? Yeah. People law came completely unglued. How dare you partner with our enemy? And, and his point was, well, yeah, sure. They may be an anti-hunting organization, but we share a common goal of catching these kids and improving the hunting culture in Wisconsin. Well, maybe it wasn't their goal to improve the hunting culture in Wisconsin, <laughs> but that—that um, that was certainly the warden's goal, and—and and he caught hell for. People wanted him fired uh, for for doing that, and 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 I think he was a real real visionary to see. You know, we can't just speak in an echo chamber. We we've got to listen to other voices. Hunters, you know, hunter numbers are declining. It, it it's it's getting to be a you know we're a, we're a smaller group than we used to be, and I think we need to start reaching out reaching out to maybe non traditional folks that that we either didn't listen to or actually kind of made fun of. So, again, uh, I think it's a great question, and and I really love wandering around like this. So I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought it up.
2: No, that Absolutely. that was really good. I think. You know, being willing to, at time, take bold steps, make bold alliances towards a common goal um, is necessary, and we we end up seeing huge benefits from it. But but you're right, when we're on the dance floor, right, it's hard to see uh, a big picture that we can all be working towards. Anything, any encouragement that you would give people towards that end of, you know, maybe stepping out or, or, or trying to, uh, inform themselves so that we can get up on the balcony and and gain greater perspective.
1: Yeah, well, it's hard it, and it's risky. Um, you can you can quickly become a uh, a pariah by by not just repeating what everybody else is repeating, and and, it, and it's it's risky, it's dangerous, and um, it, it, it's something you, you'd want to do. You, you'd want to have some allies, and you'd want to have some confidants, and you'd want to have some mentors. And you'd want to really understand what your purpose is. What, what, what are you really trying to achieve? And, and, you know, let, let, let's talk about duck hunting. Um, In in preparation for the podcast, I kind of refreshed, did a little research and looked in a number of States are dealing with declining duck hunting numbers and South Dakota right now is uh, trying an effort to encourage more hunting, more duck hunting in 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 South Dakota. Um, And, and, and that's a big issue. So, You know, so what are we really, maybe we need to step back, take two two steps back and ask, well, really, what are we concerned about? Are are we concerned about hunting and more hunters or are we really more concerned about conservation? Are we concerned, more concerned about shooting ducks or having healthy duck populations? And and those go hand in hand. Um, But maybe isn't, maybe it isn't getting more hunters on the landscape maybe that doesn't need to be our primary goal. Maybe our primary goal is making sure we have public lands that we can recreate on. Maybe it's making sure we have good wetland conservation practices occurring on the landscape. Maybe we we need to make it, you know, easy for landowners to do projects on their land so they can improve habitat. Maybe those are areas that we should focus on maybe a little more than you know, being concerned about recruiting hunters. And, and I think if we reach out to other people who are concerned about our natural resources, particularly people in urban environments, I, I, I don't, I just don't see a lot of folks in urban environments picking up a deer rifle and, and going hunting or, or going duck hunting. I, I, just, I, just, I just, I have trouble imagining how that becomes a sustainable population. But maybe if people in urban environments care about having clean water to drink, and having clean air to breathe, and land that isn't contaminated, and having good wetlands and floodplains to help protect against flooding, maybe we can achieve those common goals by again reaching out to folks that we normally wouldn't talk to, um, and, and and I th- and I think society's headed that way. So right. Right. That, 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 that's what I would encourage. It's a difficult conversation though. I, I started it with someone a really, really smart man a, a few years ago. And he got pretty mad at me when I started suggesting recruiting hunters might not be our number one focus. Right. Um, right. pretty upset. Right. And so it, it, it's risky to have these types of conversations.
2: Right. And I, and I bet too, um, if we're conservationists first and then hunters, like, yes, they go hand in hand, but if we're conservationists first, and if we start taking care of some of the issues such as habitat loss, we start taking care of some of the issues such as access loss or increasing access, I have a feeling that some of those hunter recruitment issues may start to take care of themselves. Because I I do think in a lot of ways, those are largely responsible for the decline in hunter numbers that we have seen. When we When we have fewer places to access, when hunters go out and their experience is less than... Uh, thrilling, less than exciting, less than an adventure, less than fun, well, people start dropping out at higher Mm -hmm. rates than they would if they'd gone out and had a quality experience. They talk to their friends less about poor experiences than they do great experiences. They're less inclined to take their children out if they're having poor experiences as compared to great experiences. So I think if we start to address some of those issues, that hunter recruitment thing that we're all gung-ho about and the initiative is all kind of focused on, well, that all of a sudden might begin to solve itself. I'm not saying it will, I'm just wondering out loud, you know, would that begin to take care of itself if we begin to, you know, change our focus? Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's got
0: me thinking there too. We're already experiencing this sort of, uh, you know, I think across the outdoors, a lot of people have, have seen in the past three years or so now, um, when, when COVID hit and everything went into lockdown and everybody was working from home, the outdoor industry was I mean it was a heck of a time for the outdoor industry right <laughs> yeah. I mean the number of folks that we saw out on public land and who were buying bows and buying fly fishing gear and I mean fishing gear in general I mean it was incredible just the the spike that we saw in license sales and uh the number of people getting into stuff but and podcast downloads <laughs> and podcast
2: <laughs> that was a that was a great time to be a podcaster Exactly.
0: <laughs> but what we're seeing here is uh, not not in the podcast sense here, because we're we're going strong. But what we're seeing here is, uh, you know, now that not everyone's working from home and everybody's back in the office and all that stuff. Our recruitment's not necessarily always sustainable. However, had we maybe put more effort into, like you said, Robert, re- recruiting conservationists and, you know, putting more emphasis on that as opposed to, um, you know, you should all get out here and start hunting and you should all start fishing and, you know, get into this at a certain point, it's not sustainable. You know, your, your retainment of of conservationists is so much higher than it is of, of just hunters or just fishermen or, you know, just all that stuff. But when you can, when you can really establish that appreciation for, you know, the process and the the whole the whole of getting outside and uh, you know sharing Robert you and I yesterday we were, we discussed sharing experiences with other people and uh, you know the appreciation that you can gain from the land and the amount that you can learn from the land and just how much more you're seeing um, you know the, the more time you you spend outside and you see how all these different things are connected and pretty soon you're you're you know maybe you're hanging a stand in a River bottom and all of a sudden you see some rising fish and you're like, oh, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to I'm going to fish that uh, come springtime or vice versa. You're you're out there late season trout fishing and all of a sudden you see a really, really heavy crossing and there's a scrape 10 yards off the off the bank. That's all just torn up. And you're like, well, I'm going to drop a pin and uh, see what I can do here when you're looking at the whole and you're not getting so locked into just one thing, like you said, Robert, it, it really does, you know, it, from a longevity standpoint and also just a, you know, an all encompassing standpoint where, where you're, you're so much more likely to care about and, and, you know, invest your time and interest in multiple things when you're looking at the whole from the balcony rather than being down on the dance floor. Absolutely.
1: People, people protect what they love. And um, I, I, I think you both are making great points.
0: Absolutely. Well, so we've mentioned waterfowl hunting a little bit here. Um, <laughs> I, I know we we got off track there, not off track. That, that's, that's not, not it at all. Cause that was a great track to be on. Um, you, you know, I want to, I want to go back to, to when you were, you're talking about, you know, getting off the school bus, growing up and everything and, you know, running up and grabbing your gun and a handful of shells and, you know, walking the fence lines and stuff. I mean, I, I, I couldn't relate more to that um, as you were saying that. And I was just sitting here like reminiscing. I'm like, yeah, I remember like getting off the bus and like, running into the house as fast as they could grabbing my hunting stuff and like running up the hill to, you know, try and get a couple hours in before, uh, before dark and everything. And, uh, just the amount that you, you learn and you figure out at that age too. And and you're just kind of a sponge and you're figuring it out and, you know, maybe dad's still at work. So you got nobody to hunt with or anything like that. And you're just out there and you're doing it. And, uh, just the trial and error and all that, um, it, it, that, that, kind that of like almost it warmed my heart to hear that too because that, that was there's just fond memories there like i think so many people have um but on the topic here of of you know not getting so keyed into one thing now i know there's a lot of everybody you know i don't want to say everybody but you know the vast majority of people in wisconsin we love our deer hunting waterfowl hunters they love their duck hunting you know, all that kind of stuff but you know you're a really I mean, you're an all-around sportsman. I mean, you, you and I were ch- chasing turkeys. You're you're an avid grouse and woodcock hunter. Um, you're you're chasing waterfowl, deer, um, you know, turkeys, like I mentioned. You're making trips down to Florida to you know go after sharks this past uh, winter and spring as well. Um, uh, how has that just kind of shaped? Like, where did you start? Did you start with the with the, with the pheasant and grouse hunting, right after um, you know, in high school at the, that young age, or how did you kind of branch out into the different um, the, the different pursuits?
1: And, and, and I really don't know. It, it just seemed that maybe it was just in the maybe it's just in the in my DNA because my my brothers and sisters certainly don't don't have that interest. Uh, actually, we have some. Uh, pretty differing opinions on on animal rights and that sort of thing so come come from a family of really diverse diverse background we're very respectful of each other's opinions and we've learned to politely agree to disagree on some topics but I'm I'm sort of the maybe the outlier and in in that in the family um, because I'm really really very enthusiastic about hunting and fishing and again, used to do a little trapping and that sort of thing. And, and I think what we've talked about, and Josh, you, you really drove the point home, you know, it, it's important to have a place to hunt. And we're talking about, you know, getting off the school bus and being able to go hunting. And and I think the other element that's really important is the other thing we're talking about is having having someone to do it with and, and having a mentor, a, a wiser person who can kind of guide your journey. And and I started hunting back in the 70s and 80s, and it was a whole different ball game, trying to trying to get that knowledge and, you know, here you were talking about making mistakes and learning and that sort of thing. And um, for me, you know, my my father was a, you know, again a casual hunter. Certainly helped me out. There's a couple of great lines from Hemingway in this short story, Fathers and Sons, and he says, uh, "Having a having a father who can provide you a gun and a place to hunt is is you know a place to go fishing is is." is really the most essential item to, to getting into the outdoors. It just a great line from a Hemingway short story. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my folks uh, divorced when I was about 11 or 12 and, and my father, uh, you know, I'd only summer every, every other weekend for a while. And um, I've got to give a lot of credit to my mother. My mother and my stepfather really Stepped in, and and one thing about my mother is she was always dedicated to helping her children with whatever interests they had. And I, I have a brother who's passionate about playing chess. He's played chess his entire life. It was um, my mother would take him to chess tournaments, you know, down to Chicago and over to Minnesota and. Anything she could do to help him with that, it got to the point we. This is during the you know height of the Cold War. We nicknamed him Boris because he was such an avid chess player. Named after <laughs> Boris Gaski, the Russian chess player. So and my my sisters were into riding horses, and and my mother was very dedicated to whatever 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 her children wanted to do. She'd help them you know down those avenues, and 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 much to her chagrin, I I really wanted to get into trapping, and last thing she wanted to you know, and I was too young to. I I was 14, 15. I obviously didn't have a car. And she would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, late October, early November, and drive me on my trapline in the dark, you know, and the last thing she wanted to do. But she did that for her son because she knew it was something I wanted to do. So we'd get up in the morning and she'd drive me to a couple of different farms where I had permission to trap. And I'd wander off into the woods with a flashlight and come back with a couple of raccoons that were muddy and bloody, and she was driving a BMW at the time, and she'd reluctantly open the, <laughs> the trunk of the car and <laughs> put the carcasses in the back, and she's just like, oh my God, what is, yeah. <laughs> but she was, she was just so supportive, and my stepfather also, of, of, of helping me into the outdoors, and I was maybe, maybe 13, 14, had a, had a dentist, who was the neatest guy in the world, uh, Doc Darling was his name, just one of, one of these great, people you meet in your life. And I I look forward to going to the dentist, which is, which is really rare to say, but I, you know, I get in the chair and he'd start telling me about this hunting trip he'd been on or that fishing trip he was on. And he was into black powder pretty heavily in in the mid seventies. And, you know, I think think that's when Jeremiah Johnson came out as a movie and just a, just a wonderful movie, highly recommend it. And there was a big boom going on in black powder. And I thought, well, I want to try black powder hunting. So I saved up my money and I bought a Thompson center renegade 54 caliber, just a huge bear rifle. And, uh, Dr. Arling would take me shooting and that sort of thing. And again, my poor mother, you know, agreed to take me deer hunting. And, you know, again, like you were saying, Josh, it's access to access to land. So we found, we found some public hunting land, uh, near West Bend, uh, Jackson Marsh and, neither of us knew anything about deer hunting and it's in its opening day of deer season and it's again five in the morning and it's dark and it's cold it's one of those 19 degree mornings no clouds in the sky just bone chilling cold we weren't dressed adequately at all this is the mid 70s this is before all the you know good clothing like Sitka and other brands were out we're just dressed probably in our Blue jeans with a pair of cotton long johns sitting on a boat cushion in the marsh on the ground. And I remember in the dark, you just had sort of a crappy flashlight. And you know, I, I guess I, I didn't pay attention that it was a marsh. And the first 200 yards of walking, our feet are wet. You know, we had these lousy Sorel, no, Sorel's a great brand, but had these lousy, you know, felt liner boots that are full of water. And it's 19 mm-hmm. degrees. And I said, Okay, mom, stay right here. And I had a bottle of Pete Rickard's. Buck lure, you know, so I, <laughs> I walk in a big circle around dropping all these drops of scent, you know, like the deer are going to come running in as soon as they smell it. And, by then, you know, we're both freezing and shivering and the sun came up and her feet are so cold. She ended up taking her boots off and I, I had this sheepskin uh, rifle case and she's shoving her feet into my rifle case, trying to warm them up because there's some <laughs> sheep, sheepskin
0: So she's waiting in the car while you're doing all this. Yeah, no, no. She's out she's, in the woods with me. She's oh, out, no. <laughs>
1: yeah, she's out in the woods. That's a dedicated mother. That's a dedicated mother. So it's just, it's just things like that, you know, having, having those people that are willing to invest in you. And, mm-hmm. and my father and his friends and friends I made in high school and college, those are the, you know, having that, I'll call it a support network, having those, those people to do something with. To, as you were saying, Josh, the sharing good times together, that's, that's, that's really, you know, a big part of the outdoor experience. And again, you know, Pierce, like you were saying, it, it, it was, there was such a tremendous steep learning curve you know and, and, and today it's today it's great i can go on youtube and learn how to tie a you know fairly complicated streamer and i can hit rewind and play it again and there are five different videos on how to tie a tie a streamer it wasn't like that you know back in the 70s or 80s and i can remember wanting to learn more about trapping and there there's there furfish game magazine and that was about it there weren't even vcrs at the time you know to, to watch a tape Um, So you'd you'd go to the library uh, and, and, you know, I remember it was in the 799 section is where the hunting and fishing section was and you'd read every book that was in the library and then you'd want to order another book and in order to order a book you had to talk to the librarian and they had these huge volumes of reference books. And you'd have to go alphabetically to find trapping. And I'll, I'll never forget it. It was right after, right near the Von Trapp family singers and Trappist monks. And then you got to trapping and you, <laughs> there were three or four selections you could choose from. and. The librarian would, would fill out a slip of paper and mail it to the library that had the other book and then two weeks later the book would be mailed to your library and then you get a postcard in the mail from your library saying your book has arrived. I mean that that's how you got information in those days. It was just you, you earned it. Right. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was it was had had its positives and negatives.
0: Well, I think to an extent too, you 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 retain it better at that young age too. You know, when, when you're putting in the work to to go out and find the information or you're putting in the work to go out and talk to someone or or, or do whatever it may be, you, you retain it so much better than, like you said, a YouTube video now where I can watch it five times and I can just rewind and rewind or I can bookmark it. I don't have to retain it anymore. But even like I remember growing up, and uh, you know, kind of like he said, you know, having having that that network of people who you could look up to. Um, like I remember, as you mentioned earlier, like he you said, you had some some teachers and stuff. I remember my my third grade teacher, Mr. Mall. Um, he had a a, a poster of um, it was was Wisconsin's game fish, and I remember like I would just sit there in third grade, and I would just daydream and stare at that poster and looking at the muskie and like memorizing all the fish names and all that. And he had a couple shed antlers and going into, you know, after gun season and everything, asking him, Oh, Mr. Mall, Mr. Mall, did you get anything this weekend? And, and, you know, being able to have those people at such a young age to look up to is critical. Right. And, and I mm-hmm. think that's, that's what cool. helped fuels the passion, especially from, from such a young age. Um, and, and, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it, having mentors, in the field as well is so huge and that's why you know i i I really believe that you know organizations like you mentioned there with the wisconsin waterfowl association and you know these these youth hunter weekends and stuff like that they're so critical for for establishing that uh, that passion in in kids at such a young age um uh, circling back to you know finding information and stuff i I think too you, you retain it better um when you're having that conversation with your third grade teacher or your, or with your, your dentist, or for me, it was my chiropractor when I was in high school, you know, <laughs> you know, being, looking forward to the appointment and going in right. and being able to share, you know, Oh yeah, I've been seeing this. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but you know, hopefully here's some trail cam pictures nowadays, but like, you know, back then. And uh, you know, I, I remember it when you're trying to figure it out at that young age and and you've got, you know, it could be someone's dad it could be your dentist or your teacher or something like that and they said oh well you need to try this try try doing this instead and you know look for you know look for these out in the woods and you know set up off of those and all of that and just it, it's so important um and, and, and it sticks with you you know for better or for worse it could be great advice it could be crappy advice but I mean it it it's so critical for shaping yourself as a as a hunter and an outdoorsman and just giving it, it's it's those things that are the stepping stones to get up the learning curve, right? <clears throat> and, and I think,
1: yeah, I mean, you're, you're just hitting so many neurons in my in my memory right now. It's <laughs> I had a seventh grade teacher, Mr. Schrank, who did some crazy things that teachers could never get away with today. First day of class, he did a slide show and he showed us all the deer he'd shot that year and all the fish. Showed us all the organs. No kidding. Brought in venison sausage he'd made and just, just
0: stuff you could not do today I'd probably probably not get away with but all that stuff is stuff that I've joked with my buddy about he's an elementary school teacher down in the Chicagoland area but he's a a big he's in the central region of Wisconsin is where he hunts but I mean he I'm always joking with him like oh you should bring this in and dissect it or you should you know show this off or you know bring whatever and he's like yeah I don't know if the parents would be on board with that these days but (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's (laughs) so great. He was was the first person that explained how bullets mushroom. He'd show us pictures of a deer he shot, and he showed the bullet going, how the bullet went in, one, he was hanging on the on the deer pole. He said, "Well, it's a small hole going in and a big hole going out."
0: josh and you so many other people it's it's one of those things like you said you don't really know how it got started but it's just something that's in you and and, you know i i i don't remember it but my uh my, my mom tells me that when i was like two or three um i got hooked on it because i my my dad and a couple of other people were hunting out at our property and uh one of them shot a doe and the thing ended up running straight down the hill towards the back door and dropped like five feet from the back door of our house. And I watched the whole thing through the screen door and was just like, Oh my God, I want to go out and see it. I want to go see it. I want to go see it. And I think, you know, Josh, you said, uh, you said last week when we were talking with the okayest hunter about how your son loves, uh, he likes Turkey hunting more than deer hunting because you get more stuff. You get a fan, you get a beard, you get spurs right. and all that. And it, there, there's definitely something to be said for um, at such a young age. I mean, it just, you know, and I mean, to this day, still, you, you want to, for better or worse, it's like you, you want to put your hands on, on, you know, a wild animal and, and you learn so much from that, you know what I mean? You, you want to put your hands on, um, you know, a squirrel you got, or you want to hold the fish, you know, whatever it may be, there, there's something just internal about it's just ingrained i i I wish i'd we might need to get like a a psychiatrist or something on here after this and we'll we'll see about dissecting the uh the mind of of an outdoorsman here but
2: just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the wisconsin sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers they're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with a sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam.
0: How many people, they're, they're almost, um, how do I word this? They're, they, they look at hunting and the image that it has and everyone's got their own image in their mind of what hunting is for better or for worse. And I think you the, the, the importance of having good role models who are treating animals with respect, who are practicing good conservation, who are not, you know, it's, it is a classic Wisconsin move, right? To be strapping a deer to uh, the hood of the car and driving through town and stuff like that and having your big buck with the head hanging out of the back of the pickup. I mean, at, to, to an extent, that is just Wisconsin, right? I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. part of our deer hunting culture and everybody loves a big buck. Um, I mean, we've got our, our camo and blaze, orange, uh, beer cans and all that, that, you know, it, it, it is culture, right?
1: You just, you just need the dirty pointer.
0: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but you know, it, you're right though, because from a, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, maybe somebody's not as into, uh, I mean, they're, they're thinking about hunting, but they're not necessarily, they, they don't know how to get into it. They don't know, uh, who to talk to about it or, or who might be a good role model. Um, uh, if they don't have a good role model and it, you know, it's been said multiple times across, I don't know how many different platforms that, that hunting in in many ways kind of has a PR issue right now. And you know, the number of people getting out in the woods and hunting is, is decreasing, you know, kind of somewhat steadily now. And, um, you know, it, it's, I, I couldn't agree with you more that it's, it's so important for, hunters and role models and really just ambassadors of, of, you know, being outdoorsmen and sportsmen, um, it that it's so important to to be portraying hunting in a good light and in a, in an ethical light. And, uh, you know, Josh and I were were talking about on on the how to hunt deer podcast. we, We never got to it, but we were discussing, um, you know, some, some crazy deer camp traditions and stuff like that. And like, what are the best and the worst and, you know, taking a bite out of the heart and uh, stuff like that, you know, of your first, of your first buck or your Josh was saying down South, it's uh, the smearing of the blood on your face and stuff like that. I mean, that's, go into an urban environment, like you said, and try and recruit some kids to come hunting. (laughs) And like, they they hear that you're, okay, you're going to smear blood on my face and I got to eat a raw organ. What the hell? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hunt. No way. I'll stay home and play Xbox. Like it's, uh, it's, you know, you you really hit it on the head there. how, How important it is to, uh, to, to just portray everything well.
1: Right. Um, I'm frankly just taking some notes. Um, so I, 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 and again, I just love how this conversation is just feeding off of itself, but you know, you, there's the old thing. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. And mm-hmm. I always kind of threw that off as, as just kind of a platitude. Um, but someone much smarter than me explained it, explained to you, well, here's how your brain works and, and you really need to understand this because and in, in frankly, this helped explain to me why a lot of things are occurring. And I think I asked the question out of frustration once and and I said, you know, I'm I'm working with some individuals and I'm working on some culture change issues and trying to get folks to look at things from different perspectives. Why is this so hard? Why are some people so resistant to change? And and the person explained it to me, he said, You have to really understand how the brain works and how thought patterns work through the brain. And once that pattern and path has been established, how hard it is to change that? And and he said, All right, no, picture a cattail marsh and, and it's, it's thick cattail marsh and you, and you, and you want to get out to the water. So you, you walk through the cattails and you trample them down and you get to the water and then you turn around to go back to land and you walk down the same path. And then, then you turn around and go down that path again. And after three or four times you've really trampled one path and, and you're really resistant to go off of that path because now you're going into tough terrain and, and once someone forms an impression or an opinion on a topic or a person or an idea, it's really hard to change that idea. It, it's really hard to consider alternative facts or ideas, or, well, it's really hard to consider, once you've made that observation, it's really hard to consider multiple interpretations of, of that observation. So if I observe a deer hunter whose guts hanging out, they're drinking a beer and they're swearing and they got dizzy. Bloody deer in a pickup truck. Good luck changing my mind. That that's what all deer hunters look like. If that if that's my first impression, because that thought has been formed in my brain. I've got that belief, and you're going to have to take a lot of work to get me to change that belief. Because now my brain has literally created a pathway that tells me this is my opinion. And once you've formed an opinion, it's really hard to get that opinion to change. So I think that's why you know as you were saying hunters have a, have a PR issue and, and, and it can just be little things, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I certainly respect everyone's first amendment, right. But why have a bumper sticker that says if it's brown, it's down or whack them and stack them or, you know, those sorts of things. I, your average person looks at that like you're a heathen. You know, I I, I don't think many people think that's cool, you know, and, if if, a, if if your daughter's 16 years old and a guy rolls in with a pickup truck, you know that, that says, uh, you know, I, I I like big boobies. You you really want your daughter getting in that pickup truck? You know, probably, probably not. <laughs> so if, 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 if you see a guy with a, you know, some of these bumper stickers that just glorify the you know the bloody aspects of hunting, I just think you're doing a disservice to, to all of your fellow hunters.
0: Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting you say that too. And that's <laughs> like you said, this conversation is kind of just feeding off of itself. You and I were chatting on the phone yesterday about how some of the, some of the branding and stuff like that and the image around hunting that, that brands are portraying is, uh, you know, it really is kind of, a <clears throat> uh, not that what, what's, the, what's the right word here for it. It, it almost, it, it emphasizes the, the, brutality and the almost the goriness of the hunt rather than, I mean, half of us, you know, we, we always talk about how great it is, you know, when you're out there hanging in a tree 10 minutes before first light in November and, you know, you can hear leaves crunching and stuff and you hear a buck run off in the distance and the sun's just barely coming up and you think you can see him, but you can't quite see him. Like, I mean, that the, the whole thing experience. And the, the reason so many people go out into the wilderness to, whether it be fly fishing, turkey hunting, deer hunting, you name it, just hiking in general. I mean, that, that's, that in itself is, is, I mean, it, it, in my opinion, I mean, I, I enjoy that just as much if not more than I do let, letting an arrow fly. You know what I mean? or pulling the trigger.
1: Right. So I was, I, I was, yeah. I, I was fishing with a guy yesterday or two days ago and um, we were on a, fly fishing stretch only. And it was, it was catch and release only. And I said, you know, the best part of fishing the stretch is we don't have to clean anything when we get home. So <laughs> 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 you know, just sort of jokingly said that, but, um, yeah, that, that, that it, it, I, I'll just leave it at that. It, it, mm-hmm.
0: Well, and like you said too, you know, the whack them and stack them and brown it's down and stuff like that. We've, we've talked several times on the, the my tag, my hunt argument and, and I, I think within reason, you know, it's, it's absolutely, uh, it, it's a sound argument and cause there's, you know, when you look at it through a certain lens, yeah, there's area, Iowa County, Dane County, our deer population is through the freaking roof and we've got the highest concentration of CWD in the state. Right. And so, yeah, you know, you, it, the, the herd would do well to lose a few does, you know? And you know, it, it, Southern Farmland too. I know they're offering like two free dough tags and stuff. And so it's like, okay, well, one as you're, uh, you know, an outdoorsman, look at it from the, not necessarily the standpoint of you know, with the brown it's down. I'm going for it. Whack them and stack them, like you said. Um, but but more so from a like you know, kind of through the conservation lens. Okay, I'm taking this many deer off of the landscape, so I'm reducing the the likelihood of of CWD spreading. I'm, I'm, you know, taking a little bit more imp- or less impact off the, the land and, you know, having one less, you're, you're two less deer out there um, that are, you know, eating crops or you're just mowing down um, vegetation or, you know, running trails rampant through the, you know, through the landscape and stuff and, and all that. You know, and it's not to say too that we're not whacking them and stacking them. And all three of us, I know are, uh, want a couple of deer a year and, <laughs> and, and you're know, having fun doing it. But it, 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 it's so true. The, the, the way that you're going about doing it um, and kind of the, you know, do you need a bumper sticker or a, a t-shirt or whatever it may be? That's, uh, that's, that's showing how many, uh, you know, that that's showing how, how, how hardcore you are um, versus, you know, just going out and doing it. Do you need to let everyone know or can you just go do it?
1: Right. And, and um, you know, I, and, and I think one of the trends I saw in the outdoor publications was for a while it seemed, you remember the band Kiss, you know, in their face makeup? It's like every bow hunter had to dress like Kiss. They had to smear the <laughs> face makeup and look like some evil, evil tribal warrior or something. I, and I, what, what impression does that, you know, give to your average person? And, and some people might say, I don't, I don't care what the average person thinks, or I, I don't, you know, I'm going to do what I want. I've got my rights. I can do what I want. And, and, and maybe that was true back in the seventies or eighties or, you know, when, when hunters, when hunters, you know, could kind of, kind of pound that drum and say, well, we're, we're the real conservationists. We pay for our sport. We buy the land, we pay taxes on our, game. We buy the, you know, on our, on our gear that we buy, we Mm -hmm. we pay for the licenses the duck stamps and the, you know, we support, we support it. Um, but, but take a look at at what's going on in society around us. and, And there's a really very significant shift. Um, Hunter numbers are declining and, and it's just baked in the cake. It, it, every year I was looking at Michigan's numbers the other day and I think they're losing their small game hunting is down 76% in Michigan. It's continuing to decline wow. at about two and a half. Percent. Wow! So, you know, t- tell me how that's going to change. You know, it, it, there is a tremendous shift from rural to urban. Um, our, our numbers are declining also. And, and again, um, Take a look at. Take a look. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about politics, statewide elections. It's Milwaukee and Madison that you know can determine the outcome of an election. It, it, it's just what it is. When I and then I'm not saying that's good, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's just pretty much a fact. When I when I was up in Alaska uh, doing some hunting, I was up there with a with a game warden. And he said trapping could become illegal in Alaska if Anchorage got its act together and, and voted against it because the population centers in Anchorage and most of them are separated from the outdoors. They could, you, you could, you could imagine trapping being illegal in Alaska, which is culturally unfathomable. Uh, you know, the kids who grew up reading Fur Fish Game magazine wanted to mm-hmm. move to Alaska and run a trap line, but it, it, it could certainly happen. So, so with Madison, Milwaukee and, Fox Valley and La Crosse area can control a statewide election. Um, what sort of what sort of impression are we today making upon er- people living in an urban environment? And I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's it stacked against us. Because I love guns. I think guns are great. I love buying guns. I love owning guns. I love shooting guns. I love just love guns. But to the average person in an urban environment, guns represent something very different. They have a much different view of, of what a firearm represents. A firearm, and, and again, I don't want to speak in broad brushes. I don't want to use platitudes. I don't want to stereotype people. But for a lot of folks, guns represent pain and misery and sorrow. Uh, someone in my family was killed by a gun. Someone in, in my class was shot walking to school. You know, guns represent um, I, I pain and suffering and, and are scary uh, or I was beaten by a, someone with a gun or a law enforcement officer with a gun. It just, it's shot. It, it, there's just, I love guns. To a lot of people, they're, they're, they're horrible, uh, horrific tragedy. So, I, I, I don't understand, first of all, how we would get over that barrier if we want to recruit people who live in urban environments to come over to hunting. I, I, I think it's stacked against us. Our Archery. Yeah, (laughs) I I get it because because then the argument is, okay, well, what about kayaking and canoeing? And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, great. Sure. Kayaks. Great. Great idea. Love kayaking. Um, you live on a third floor apartment where are you going to store the kayak. Are you going to put it on the elevator and take it up and down? Are you going to put it on a bus? You don't have a car. Are you going to put it on a bus? How are are you going to move that kayak around? You know, let's, let's, let's stand in the shoes of the people that we're trying to convert to hunting and, and I'll, it a step further, I think it's almost a little bit arrogant, is basically what we're telling people in an urban environments is, I want you to become like me, and if you become like me, then you're suddenly a better person, uh, because you're doing what I want to do. And and, and I think think if we really want to start understanding the majority uh, of of citizens in the state of Wisconsin, we as hunters need to go to urban areas and and gain a better understanding of what challenges that that they face, um, and what things they're really concerned about. Um, there, there've been some natural resource agencies that have done surveys where they've surveyed their staff and said, what's important to you and the staff will list those surveys and then go to the public, you know, the public that they serve, what, what's important to you and the list will be completely different. Uh, there's one example that what was number one to a natural resource agency ranked number 14 to the public, but, but there was that much of the divergence between what the agencies thought was important and what the public thought was important. So. These these are these are not technical challenges. They can't be fixed just by just by changing some, you know, giving someone a pill and your headache goes away. These are adaptive challenges that require again we were talking about leadership and risky conversations. But if if, if Madison and Milwaukee can decide statewide elections, um, why would we want to do anything to alienate those people? Why wouldn't we want to find common ground, common interests? Um, you know, I, I think Wisconsin DNR is doing a really good job in in the natural resources magazine to, to promote, you know, a more rounded view of natural resources, more than just hunting and fishing and consumptive uses. But I would imagine the person that, that lives in an urban area wants to protect wetlands because they understand wetlands help protect against flooding and they don't want their property to flood. So wetlands are important for ducks. And if you live in a floodplain area, you want to see that floodplain protected, which is where the ducks live. Um, has nothing to do with their concern about hunting, but I think we have those common, common interests. And, in, 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 in and, um, I, um, I think it's a heavy lift, but we should start having those types of conversations. I think not, not, I'm, I'm going to beg someone from the inner city to come hunting. So hopefully they'll buy a hunting license in the future. Um, I think we have to find other ways that natural resources are, are relevant to folks and, and, and look down those avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a heavy lift. That, that That's going to require, and, and maybe I'm wrong, quite frankly. I I, I don't want to say I've got all the solutions. I don't want to say I'm right. I'm just sharing my opinion. Mm-hmm. But that, that's that's kind of what I, that's the lens I've been looking through anyway.
0: Sure. And, and, you know, I think so much of it comes down to, finding those groups like we'd we'd mentioned earlier that share the common goal, that share a common, uh, you know, they all want to see, they all benefit from healthy land, right? Most people, most organizations, most, whether it be farmers, you know, conservation organizations, you know, just outdoor recreationists, you know, whoever it might be, everybody benefits or benefits from having you know, more public land to go to and, you know, uh, another place to walk the dog, a nicer place to walk the dog, you know, yeah. something like that. And, and going and finding those groups who, you know, maybe uh, the one that comes to mind right now is the Prairie Enthusiast, um, all over the Southwest corner of the state here they their, it's land that's privately owned, but it's owned by the, the Prairie Enthusiast, but you know, they've got their own sort of set regulations of how many people they let, you know, hunt out there and stuff. But like, I mean, I've gone out there and I've seen some really nice deer out there and I, I I chatted with one of the chapter heads there and, and they they were one, they, they know the property better than anyone because they're out there working on it every single week. They know, yeah, I saw a pretty nice buck down in this little, stick it down here. And, you know, I've seen some people high, like, you know, hang and hunt here, but you know, I don't see too many people go all the way back there. I mean, it's you know, they they, they understand and they, they are willing to, you know, one help you in your pursuit as long as you're out there helping them. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a two way street. And so, you know, joining a, a, a local chapter of, uh, you know, it, it could be anything from your trout unlimited chapter to your prairie enthusiasts, to your, uh, does, does the Wisconsin Waterfowl Association do chapters or how, how does that just joining, just right. joining the organization. Right. And I mean, just finding those groups and, you know, as we look into, if you're kind of someone who's maybe on the fringe of, uh, you, know, you know, on the edge of an urban area or something like that, who's, or who's living, you know, just outside one or something, being able to find organizations where you can go in and, you know, maybe you go in once a month and you help with a cleanup day or something, you meet some people. And then maybe you start talking to some people who are there and you say like, Oh yeah, I re- well, I really love to bow hunt or, you know, duck hunting. like, I'm, I'm really excited for the, for, for duck season here and, um, or whatever it may be. Right. And then you know, you build that relationship, you develop that, that kind of friendship. And then you, maybe after that, you, you invite them to come with, you just show them, Hey, you want to come with and just, you know, hang out in the boat or I'll teach you how to cast or I'll, you know, I'll teach. I'll, let's just come, come out and, you know, we'll, we'll go to the range or something and we'll, we'll shoot clay. And I'll show you how to do that or something. And just stuff like that, that gets people, you know, one, it, it recruits them, but also it, it, you're doing PR work at the same time. Right.
1: I think, I think that's beautiful. I, I think it really hit the nail on the head. Um, where I thought you were going to go when you talked about prairies and Southwest Wisconsin, um, and I know you're a trout uh, avid trout angler in the driftless area. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have prairie enthusiasts who are all about planting natural vegetation, keeping invasive species out, protecting soil from erosion, those are three things that are really key to trout anglers. Mm-hmm. so so if, so, if trout anglers could combine with prairie enthusiasts, have buffer zones along trout streams, keep the cows out of the streams, keep manure from getting into the streams, have that buffer zone, have that really nice natural scenic beauty aesthetics along the stream banks, anglers and non-anglers can share a common interest, improve both of their interests. And as you say, maybe get to get to know each other better and, and learn from each other. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what could be better than
0: that? Right. right. Absolutely. And that, and that's half what we're after too, in the outdoors, right? And I mean, uh, you know, some of the, aside from, you know, I mentioned, it, it's not about pulling the trigger. For most people, right that that's a that's a small part of the actual you know process of an, of being a a hunter and an outdoorsman and stuff and a, and a big part of it is it's the people you meet, right and it's it's mm-hmm. the relationships you're able to build with people and the friendships you're able to make and and all of that and uh, you know you and I had <laughs> we, we went into this one and talk about ducks, and i'm I'm Frankly, I'm glad we didn't go there today, but, (laughs) but yesterday you and I were on the phone and we were chatting about, um, just, just meeting people and, and being a good, a good steward of the land and, and a good, uh, a good, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, a good, a good user of public land. He, He talked to me a little bit about, you know, kind of the image there and sort of just, you know, you know, everybody out here, you know, everyone listening, everyone, you know, all the three of us on this podcast right now, we've all dealt with freaking jerks on public land who make us just either not want to go back there or if, you know, they just leave a bad taste in our mouth and it's not, you know, it, it's just not what we want. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah.
1: And, and that's, and that's something I've I've struggled with a little bit. Um, you know, it's easy to look at other people as com- as competition, or it's easy to look at folks, other folks, as, as, as they're out there, they're going to destroy my experience. And, and you know, classic example, let's say duck hunting. Tomorrow's opening season, the duck season, um, and and I'm I'm just you know, I'm talking to some people, I'm hearing more and more user conflicts out on out on out in the duck marsh. And people are getting up at two in the morning and, and going out and staking out a spot, saying, you know, this is my hunting spot and shining a flashlight on anyone that comes near. And, and, and I get it. I really do. Because I've been that guy. I, I've, I've gone out and I've done that. and and I, and, I, and I understand it because if you've only, if, if you've got, if you've got a family and a job and you've only got one weekend out of the year, you can hunt and you're looking forward to opening day of duck season. Cause that's the best hunting cause are the most birds around. And, and you're really saying I, I've got to get out there and I've got to get my spot, even though it's public land, I've got to get my spot. I got to keep people away and I've got to shoot my limit of birds. You know, you in, in many ways, you're you're taking your happiness and you're putting it in someone else's hands because you can get out there at two in the morning, but that doesn't prevent anyone from coming 50 yards away and throwing out decoys 15 minutes before opening opening hours. So and then and then you're mad, you know. And then you're really mad, and and then words start flying, and you know you, you can get kind of you can get kind of ugly. And now now you're now your weekend's ruined because you set up all these expectations. This is, this is what I want. And those, those types of user conflicts happen, um, and and some maybe some of them are unavoidable, but I but I think of what you know what you're talking about, Pierce, is with the right mindset, you can you can help avoid creating setting yourself up for disappointment, and and you know, and in, in, I, I do agree that you know it is easy to look at folks and say you know you're not one of my friends, you're a stranger. And there's a really good chance you're going to walk through the stream and blow all the trout out of the hole that I've been resting and getting ready to fish. Cause you came marching upstream and walked right through where I was. And I had this happen a couple of days ago. I was fishing in Michigan and um, this is kind of what got me thinking about being a good role model. Um, is there's a father and son look like a father and son. I'll assume it was a father and son team walking upstream and they were just, casting to every, every salmon they saw and they didn't care who was around them. And, and the, you know, and I've got an area where I'm fishing and I've been staying there and they came uncomfortably close um, to the point where I, I wanted to say something like, you know, this river is about 70 miles long. Why do you have to be 15 feet away from me? You know, but, or, or uh, when I, or excuse me, am am I in your way? You know, just, Mm -hmm. and and I just thought whether they'll pass through and the, She'll be fine in a few minutes, but I thought this father's teaching his son, just a real lack of courtesy and, and that sort of thing. And I, and I just chose not to get upset about it. Um, <clears throat> just, just let, let, let that pass. And I think it really comes down to what sort of a mindset you have going into the outdoors and, and how you view, view strangers and in, in, in people. And I, I've had actually you know, I, I've gotten upset and it doesn't do any good. And I've had people get upset at me and that doesn't do any good. And, and over time I've realized <clears throat> rather than viewing this person as a stranger or a threat, why not, why not try to have a conversation with them and, and try to, you know, as we've been talking about, try to find some mutual goals. And I'll, I'll just give you two quick examples. Um, I was fishing over in Michigan a few years ago and there's a stretch of a stream that I absolutely love fishing and I got up early and I got out there in the dark and I'm all excited to fish it. It's a fly fishing only stretch. And there's a guy standing right where I want to be. I mean, literally right where I want to be. And, and I, and I ah, what do I do now? And I thought, well, you know, be polite. Let's just, you know, my father always taught me, you'll catch more ants with honey than vinegar. I thought, okay, be polite. And I just said, hey, you know, don't want to interfere, don't want to interrupt you. Just wondering how long you're planning on staying here. I was you know, interested in fishing here too. And he looked at me and he said, Ah, there's plenty of room. Fish right next to me. Why not? You know, if I catch a fish, you can net it. If you catch a fish, I'll net it. It'll be fine. It was a big river, it was during the salmon run. And and I, I kind of looked at the guy and I don't know, after dealing working with the public for about 30 years, you can your people out in about the first 10 seconds. And I thought, this guy, you know, he's wearing a pair of Orvis waders. It looks pretty sharp. He knows what he's doing. I thought I could even learn something from this guy, you know? And we hit it off and we talked. And he taught me how he was fishing streamers. And I showed him how I was fishing streamers. And we caught a ton of salmon. And I took pictures of him holding fish. And he took pictures of me holding fish. And he, he loved smoking a cigar. And he offered me a cigar. Well, I didn't want the cigar. But <laughs> we fished together for. Seven or eight hours. We exchanged cell phone numbers. I texted the photos to him. He texted photos to me. Uh, You know, we both got back home. He lives in Michigan. I live in Wisconsin. We started sharing pictures. He showed me a fly rod he built, you know, that sort of thing. And then next year, it was getting close to, you know, sort of an annual trip. He said, Hey, are you coming over? I said, Yeah, I am. And he said, well, great. I rented a cabin and my son and son-in-law are coming. My wife will be there. Why don't you come fish with us and, you know, come and have a couple of beers at the cabin and that sort of thing. And, and that was a great afternoon last year and got to meet his family and just, just super people. Um, and then, and then this year he texted me in, in July and he said, I, I just bought a, a, a drift boat or, or a raft. Um, let's go float the river together. You know, really want to take you out and, Take you out on the raft, and I've never never floated before. And so we a few days ago we spent a whole day on the river, and he he brought food and snacks and a couple lawn chairs to sit in in the river, and we drank a couple beers and just had a great time. And and now we're talking about taking some other trips together, and and it all stems from that initial contact, that first impression. Like I can choose to be a jerk to this guy and try to drive him out of my spot, or I could pout and walk away, or we could try to let's get along, you know, and, and enjoy mm-hmm. this resource together, even, even though we're, we're strangers. So I, I think coming into it with, with the right mindset that I'm not going to get mad at other people. There's that five or 10% that are always going to be jerks. You know, and there's nothing you can do with them except just walk away. Don't even talk to them. Just walk away. They're just jerks. And thank God, you're thank God that's not your dad or you're not married to that person. You know, just walk <laughs> away. Um, And, 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 and get on with your day. Don't let, don't let someone else destroy your happiness. So that, 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 that's where I'm looking at, you know, from that perspective. And from a duck hunting perspective, I'll I'll just tell one other story. Um, Really similar situation middle, middle of the season. I got to the boat landing. It was a small boat landing and getting ready to launch and, another guy, actually, I think the guy was there before I was there and I showed up and he's just unpacking his truck and I started unpacking my truck and getting ready to launch the duck, duck boat. And, and I'm like, well, hey, uh, this fairly small spot, just you know, kind of, kind of wondering where you're going. And he made it pretty clear he was planning on going where I was planning to go. And we, we talked for a couple minutes and again, kind of quickly realized this is a real sharp guy, real good guy. Um, and, and we both kind of agreed, why compete? Why you know why why sit a hundred yards apart? Why don't we just sit in the boat together? And and we you know I, I jumped in his boat and we went downstream and threw out some decoys and we sat and talked and laughed and joked and missed a couple birds. Never got anything. Had a had a great great morning. Um, Exchanged cell phone numbers and we've been in touch the last two or three years. And he'll send me pictures of what he's doing and I'll send him pictures of what I'm doing and we've hunted together a couple of times and, uh, you know, again, could have, could have been an adversary could have been viewed as a competitor. I could have been upset. He could have been upset. We just decided, you know, we, we've we got this common love of hunting and being outdoors. Why why not share it with each other In, instead of, instead of, you know, just looking at each other, like, like, you know, you're, you're, you're destroying my experience instead we turned it around and, and you're making my experience better. And, and, and I'm, hopefully I made his experience better too. So, um, I think we can choose, we can make those choices and I, and, I, and I think it's real important to make those types of choices. I almost feel like I'm preaching now, but
0: uh, <laughs> no, I, I think those are such great examples of, of just, you know, what happens when you, when you try and break bread rather than throw a fit, you know, that somebody, cause again, at the end of the day, it's public land, right? Mm-hmm. And you, know, yep. you and I both know folks who have, uh, you know, they, they've seen other folks on the river and they've thrown a fit and they're like, what are you doing out here? I'm the only one who floats this, this river or this stretch and stuff like that. And everybody gets bent out of shape but at the end of the day. It's a, it's a public resource. Right. And we, we really, you know, it's, it's sure. It's one thing, you know, maybe you see somebody, a guy and his kids or uh, a, a guide with clients or something like that. Oh, okay. Sure. Maybe give them some space. Sure. Whatever. But like, you, you don't need to, to throw a fit and, you know, start cussing at each other and, and, and throwing a big fit and because like you said, you know, a lot of times you're going fi- to find yourself having a better morning or a better experience if you're able to say, oh, you're doing this too? Well, shoot, you want to fish together or hunt together? Or, you know, obviously whitetails, it gets a little different and stuff like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. even with whitetails, you know, it, it's it, it, it's a part of the culture of deer hunting, right? Where every, everything's a secret. You don't tell anybody what you saw or where you saw it or what time it was or anything like that. But yeah. I, I know Josh last year you were talking to a guy in, uh in the parking lot who was saying, yeah, you know, I, I saw that blocker. you know, I was in here, I'm going in this way and all that. And, you know, even if you're not trying to hunt with the guy, at least you know where he's going to be and you can set up off of that. Right. right. Or if it's not the exact spot that you want to set up in, you know, maybe you got to go to your plan B at the end of the day, that's going to make you a better outdoorsman, right? You, you're going to have to uh, you know adapt and overcome and all that. So you're, so you've got, you know, tree A that you're going in on, and you're you're planning to sit there, you know, opening day or whatever, or you know, on, on your rutcation And well, all right, we had a big storm, and that tree blew down. Like, what the hell? You need a plan B, right? And uh, yeah, it's just at, at the end of the day, you know, you're more likely to benefit from you know all around by you know being forced to adapt, or hunting with someone else, or you know, sharing information, you know, you know, with discretion, sure, but like. You know, sharing information, sharing experience with something else or somebody else, because you know maybe you learn something from them, or you know even better, maybe they learn something from you, right?
2: Right. And that mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. something we've talked quite a bit about on this uh, on this podcast at different times. Is you know if, if you head out to a spot of of public land and someone's in your spot or somebody's in the parking lot getting ready to go out, it's so much better just to stop and talk, just to stop and. And share, you know, you know, you want, you don't necessarily want to say, hey, I was going to hang in this tree over there, but share where you're going to be. I mean, last year you alluded to it, Pierce, that's, you know, a a big part of how I got into the area where I ended up killing a deer a few days later, Um, is that running into the guy in the parking lot and he says, I'm going over here. I said, okay, great. I'll go to this totally different spot that I've never been into before and I'll go explore what's going on over there and you end up having an encounter and, and, and shooting a deer. So. Uh, worked mm-hmm. out for both of us. He he ended up tagging a deer a couple of days later in the spot that he'd been going to. So it, it worked out for both of us. But um, yeah, just great opportunity to meet people, to make the right impression, to be responsible in our use of public lands, uh, and improve all of our experiences. I think we can, we can pack into public land a little bit tighter maybe. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and increase not only the amount of access that it feels like like we have, but the time that we have when we're out there as well. So, uh, guys, we've been going for quite a while here. I think this is probably a mm-hmm. good point to, to wrap up the conversation, uh, at least for Robert's, you know, first stint here on the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. So, uh, Robert, thank you so much for your time, for coming on today. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to having you on again.
1: Great. Thank you. This this has been wonderful. I love the conversation. um, Love all the different directions we wanted and and thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Likewise. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll get on here again soon and we'll, we'll actually cover ducks next time, but I'm I'm glad our (laughs) conversation went this way. But um, real quick, you said your strategy is only like a 20 second explanation. What's the plan going into opening weekend of waterfowl season here in the Northern region?
1: Um, okay. So, I, well, Northern region, right? we're not on the Mississippi flyway. It's mostly wooded. It's not productive hunting area. You know, if, if you get a duck or two that, that don't think you're going to shoot a limit. So manage your expectations to begin with. If I get one wood duck tomorrow morning, that's great. I mean, if I get zero, that's great, but it's only, it's only going to be one or two birds. Uh, secondly, scouting out, scouting is really important. Uh, find, I really look for places where either where folk where no one is or places where I've gone before, where I've built those relationships with people. I, I mean, I've got an opening day spot. I've gone to two or three, uh, three or four years in a row now. And I've got to know the people in the blinds in the area. And Hey, how's your brother doing? You know I mean? We've we built mm-hmm. that type of a relationship. Um, put put the decoys where the ducks are going to land anyway uh, is, is my best decoy strategy and, and wait till the birds are really close and, and got their wings cupped and shoot them at 25 yards and have them, have them land in open water. And, and it, it, it's about, it's about as easy as that. Um, and, and, and enjoy the morning, bring a thermos of coffee and a, and a little snack and watch the sun come up and
0: be really grateful for what we've got. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm a little jealous. Just that image you just painted there. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to be out there Right. Uh, tomorrow morning as well, but good luck to you, Robert. And, and again, thank you for your time. I, I think, you know, everybody could benefit from this conversation and uh you know i'm just being better stewards of the land so be good to the uh land be good to each, to each other and uh everybody take care
2: awesome thanks guys that's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at how to hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and X. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.